Hi, I'm Oliver Lennon and welcome to the Sendeo podcast, uh, where we delve into all things conversational AI with some of the sharpest brains from some of the most innovative companies in the world of customer experience. These are not a series of interviews, but conversations, um, regular discourse designed to provoke, educate and enlighten the business professionals with insights, learning and guidance on leveraging conversational AI to deliver meaningful CX. Today on the Sendeo podcast, I'm joined by Nicholas de Tchaikovsky. Um, Nicholas has, by his own admission, many decades in the industry. Um, he didn't say how many. Um, he has run roles around, he has had roles of chief marketing officer running products, um, working for some of the largest organizations, including Alcatel Lucent, Enterprise, Genesis. Um, more recently, Nicholas has been focused on the world of conversational commerce from a sales and marketing perspective. Conversation with Nicholas very much along the lines of where the technology is going. We discussed related technologies, customer data platforms, CDPs, um, how, in Nicholas's view, generative AI will change the industry, particularly for the vendors and the toolset providers. Uh, again, another great lesson. Um, Nicholas being French, we had a little bit of a discussion around who's going to win the World Cup. Um, to be determined, that's the Rugby World Cup happening in late November or December, October, sorry, 2023. Enjoy the listen. Welcome, Nicholas. NK3, as I think most people in the industry know you. Um, well, I know the NK piece. I'm not sure where the three come from. Well, there's 3K in my name. And in the US, you, you, that's the best way to characterize 3K. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, it's, I'm not going to try to pronounce your surname. I have many times, but I always trip myself up on it. Like so, um, that's why I go by NK3. How are you? You keeping well? Hi, San Francisco. I am. And how's your world in San Francisco? Busy as ever. And um, what's I suppose what's top of your forefront of your brain at the moment in terms of what's keeping you interested? Well, the topic we're going to discuss in a few minutes. It's keeping my brain very active. So many changes going on. Uh, I think these are very, very exciting times. So look forward to the conversation. It, it certainly is. And I mean, you, you've, um, I think you said in one of your bios, I've seen some of you've been in the industry for decades, which is which is true. I think you, your time goes back to Alcatel Lucian whenever you were, your, yes. your background, you're, you're French, yeah. but you've been living in, San Francisco. We'll, yeah. come on, we'll come on to that in a wee moment, but you've been living in San Francisco for 20 plus years, I guess. Yes. And I'm trying to draw those questions on the numbers of decades I've been in the industry. I got to <laughs> this point in my life <laughs> where the art of dodging <laughs> is going to surprise you. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, Sometimes it feels bizarre to say last century. This is what we were doing. <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, I, I was on another podcast with uh, one of the guys who there was a, a bank here in, in the UK. It was called Egg Bank, and it was the first internet bank launched in the UK, and that was 1998. And we were chatting about that because the company I was involved with then, we were also building out the CRM system for them. And uh, Dave Tainton, who was the guy who was in the podcast, Dave was involved in actually setting up the contact centre with them. So we started to feel very old going back to the the last century, as you say, in terms of um, some of this technology. But it's an interesting point because, you know, 
even leveraging on that egg bank, the first internet bank. This was 1998, and like the, the iPhone didn't launch until 2007. But are we in another one of those stages, I guess, of the industry? And we were chatting off air a little bit about how exciting it is and all the things that's changing. Is this a lot of hype or is there a lot of change? What do you think at the moment? Well, there's always hype in technology, but um, um, the AI um, and conversational AI, which is the focus of today, is, is definitely uh, maturing, has tons of uh, real-life um, implementations that are working and, and delivering results. Um, are we at the end of the journey of uh, the development of this technology? Hell no, but... Uh, it's it, it has come a long way. It's come a long way, and and you've been involved, as I said, you know, a lot of customer service, customer experience. Of more recent times, um, I know you're doing a lot in the sales, techs, conversation, and I was, I was looking through terms. So we have that many terms: conversational AI, conversational commerce, conversational marketing, conversational sales. Just you know, take a few moments and give me that landscape and, and what does that mean and what are those technologies and solutions, I guess? Yeah. So if we take a step back, a conversational AI can be applied to a, a broad range of, of use cases. Some are employee-facing and some are customer-facing. And um, if you look at it, there's, there's so many use cases just for marketing, just for sale, just for service. So this is why we we like to put the, an umbrella name, and this is how conversational marketing, conversational sales, and uh, uh, conversational commerce were, were, were created. And frankly, it's, it's a little bit of a fluid definition because the market is just super dynamic, and I would say every day you have new use cases that can emerge. And as well um, as the uh, technology progresses, um, we find new ways to use it to transition to the digital world, which is one of the key reasons of uh, why this technology is so important. Um, so um, when you look at um, conversational marketing, it started, and, and sometimes we, we think of it uh, we construe the category definition to the initial use cases. So it was all about uh, transforming the form, <laughs> uh, replacing the, the form capture uh, with a chat and messaging experience on the, on, on the web or on the mobile app. Mm -hmm. And uh, can be used to capture leads. It can be used to direct, uh, to direct um, uh, customers or visitors to the right destination. Conversational sales was more about, and it's interesting because we call it conversational sales, but it really started as a way to warm up leads. So marketing would find leads worth uh, um, engaging from a sales perspective, but before you hand it and the lead over to, um, uh, to sales, you would use some form of uh, automation <laughs> to confirm uh, with the lead, it, it would be um, a meaningful use of the time on board's perspective. So you can decide whether it's marketing or sales, but that was really the the original use case for conversational sales. Conversational commerce, which is today the most popular term, 
actually a blend of the two. And uh, if you apply to both e-commerce and social commerce, which became huge after the, uh, the pandemic, you bring all this together. And the big difference is with commerce, you don't just engage uh, with the visitor, the prospect, the, uh, uh, the customer, but you also transact. Um, and, and I think as we look at that, we should also mention that uh, there are adjacencies. So, for example, conversation intelligence that uses some of those techniques to actually listen to sales calls and make sense of the unstructured data for multiple purposes, ranging from coaching to predicting um, uh, forecast to making forecast. And there's also real-time guidance and coaching where you listen and in real time you can provide hints on how the seller should behave, um, on how to coach uh, specific guidance, specific things that uh, he or she might have forgotten. So aside uh, to the pure conversational AI market categories, you have the blossoming of other ones as well. And, you know, some of that sales marketing, the, I guess, the, the front-end capture piece, I mean, it's been around for quite a few years now. And, you know, going back, there was some discussion that, you know, this would replace form fills on websites, for example. But when you look at a lot of organizations, there's still quite a lot of that form filling activity going on. So it, it maybe hasn't. Um, why do you think it maybe it hasn't taken us hold as much as we expected? And is that about to change or is that even changing, do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, all in all, it, it really, the latest wave started about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, I, I, I think most businesses continue to struggle striking the balance between pure automation and automation with human. So if you look at a small use case in isolation, such as instead of having a form, um, transforming this by a series of questions through a chatbot or a messaging, it does perfect, but in isolation, it won't be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think what, you, what you're noticing is really the um, consequence of point appointments. Now, um, from a marketing standpoint, uh, if you take a step back, it can be used to offer always on chat presence. Um, it's a way where simple questions can be used to direct prospects or buyers um, to a specific uh, destination on the website. So there are multiple other use cases, but specific to marketing, um, by definition, marketing is a one to many. So you have always the temptation to leverage automation to scale and conversational technologies are very much about um, offering an experience that um, is a little more human. But if you don't provide that seamless transition to the human, uh, it becomes the results uh, uh, becomes very uh, limited very quickly. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had, um, certainly in the industry, again, more from a customer s- service perspective, I guess, concepts around personalization in the past. Again, do you see that as sort of key 
the the more conversational AI becomes engaged at the sales and the marketing level. So trying to, I wouldn't say you're going to personalize every individual engagement, but more persona aligned personalization. Do you, do you see that coming more to the fore as well? Yeah, so definitely personalization uh, comes into the into the picture. I think the word means different things to different part of the organization when it comes to service. Um, I, I think um, it, it drives relevance. Um, but it's interesting if you look at service, you had a, a similar trajectory at the beginning. Conversational AI was used mostly for self-service, and then we figured out that it was critical to be able to seamlessly transition a self-service conversation that cannot be fulfilled in self-service to an agent. And we figured out that, uh, uh, well, what is being passed to an agent needs to come with context. Otherwise, you completely ruin the experience. So this is where, I guess, some of the personalization come into play we also figured out that uh, um, what was being passed to, to humans was the difficult uh, use cases. And we started to actually leverage the technology, not for customer facing, but for employee facing in the form of agent assist and other, and other means. And uh, now we're pushing the envelope. Uh, we look at how we can leverage the technology for after call work automation, those type of things. So the, the, the trajectory is a little bit similar. Uh, we start leveraging the automation side. <laughs> we find out that the nature of conversational uh, technology is such that it needs to be completely blended uh, with human assistance, and step by step, the two are coming uh, are coming together. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Genesis coined the term, who, who I know you're well familiar with, going back years. Um, blended AI and I, I was actually chatting to Marine Taboy uh, a few weeks ago and I think they still use that term um, but they, they also the concept that that he talked about was um, not AI replacing the agents but agents with AI replacing agents if that makes sense so it's, it's a combination of you know from the employee perspective or agent perspective how do you leverage and utilize AI to make them more efficient better and remove the the dull aspects of the of the of the job. Um, so I think that was his kind of take, which I think resonates with probably what you're um, saying as well. Yeah, there's obviously continued angst about what AI means to to jobs and uh, what people are doing. Uh, the equation is that uh, as we transition to the digital world, as products become more and more complicated, the the sheer volume of interaction is is going through the roof. So there's in number a huge increase. Um, conversational AI and other technology help customers self help themselves, self serve themselves. There's all kind of automation that uh, basically take care of a chunk of it. What remains are uh, interaction more complicated that requires a human judgment. We were talking about sales. I mean, important buying decisions are not going to be made without speaking with a human. Sometimes yeah. it's just about confirming. Sometimes um, we need to talk with a human because there's so much 
emotion attached to the purchase decision. Yeah. So the, the, the we tend to look at it, but the the rea- if you you take the uh, the concept of a customer journey, journeys are elongating multi touches, and many of those segments are going to be self-helped, automated, and some segments that are very, very strategic are going to be handled by humans. So human in this model will need AI and other technology to be helped. And um, because the, the way human gets involved, the ability to stitch together the different segments and to pool all the relevant information to the associate who is taking care of the customer, the seller that is trying to educate a customer, inform a customer, whatever you want to call it, is is really uh, critically important. So the net of it is today, if you turn specifically to customer service organization, um, they're complaining because they are lacking resources. It's getting harder to find uh, um, talents. It's harder to retain them. So there's a deficit of actually customer service agents in the industry. Yeah, and you know, I do, I do think, as you're saying there, they, you know, leveraging AI on that side of things will help on the retention because it it should make or you know the focus then should be on the agents and you know, rather than them being scripted to use the best of their ability and their skills around engaging customers, whether that's selling or whether that's service, it's the same. It's about their ability to engage, comfort, understand um, with the customer and, and letting those agents, I know it's a term that maybe sounds kind of derogatory, but letting them in, engage where their skills are really required as opposed to the the, the more drudgery, I guess, that, that they have to do day and daily, hence the reason, you know, your retention rates are quite high and obviously your training then costs go up as well. Yeah, so it's interesting to look at the big picture and not just service, where historically uh, businesses had a propensity to um, uh, view customer service interaction as transactional. But if you broaden to sales, um Right now, there's a recognition that uh, those conversations are critical to the customer experience, to the business goals, uh, the engagement, um, uh, you, 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 you name it. Um, so wave one was thinking about how can we help? And again, the initial focus was very transactional. How can I help the agent for that interaction? So providing guidance, context, automating things. Now, if you look in the broader context of how hard it is to bring on board talents and to uh, retain them and to grow them, the importance of developing professionals, whether it's sales professional, whether it's customer service professional, is critical. And in particular, the newer generations are extremely sensitive to be able to learn and progress. So a a use case that we touch a bit around real-time guidance, real-time coaching, uh, where the conversation intelligence on the penny (laughs) becomes very critical. And when you think about it, it's not just so much about helping you resolve a specific interaction. It's also 
helping you be a better professional, whether it's sales, whether it's service. And and how do you see the adoption of this? I mean, in some ways I look at it and think, well, this technology has been around for you know, quite a few years. Okay, we haven't had large language models to the degree that we've had more recently, but you know, a lot of the, the language models, the AI capability, and is the adoption, or I mean, you've seen a lot more than I, and you've been engaged with a lot more organizations. How have you seen the adoption, or do you see it starting to increase more rapidly of the technology? Yeah, there, there's definitely um, uh, an increased adoption of those technologies, and uh, they might not be deployed everywhere, but everybody has those technology at large. Yeah. So agent assist, and we tend to shortcut things, actually can, can be provided multiple ways. It can be in the form of scripting, dynamic decision trees. It can be the assist. The agent assist is typically, I, I basically query a knowledge base to surface the most relevant pieces of knowledge to help uh, the associate deal with whatever. You have guidance where you know, for example, let's take the example of compliance. You know that if you're selling a, a financial product, you have to say a few things. So you, you, you can use the technology to track the conversation and, and put the little reminder. You have coaching where you know that um, from a personal development, there are things that the given person should pay attention to. And of course, it makes more sense to provide this hint, this cue, if you wish, in context, in real time, to build the right uh, behavior. So just from the agent assist, there's a myriad of things the, uh, that should be uh, put on, 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 on deck. Uh, and uh, depending on the context, uh, they are being applied, and I think the future will blend them all together dynamically. The the other thing from the adoption standpoint, um, I think we have to recognize that there are different generations and different relationships to technologies. So Generation Z, as we call them, younger generation, are much more keen to get the technology to provide assistance in a candid way I think for older generation, that's something we like less. I put myself in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the bucket because we feel the machine is telling us what to do and somewhere we are less comfortable with that. So in the way you deploy the technology, you want to also give the ability to the different people to adjust the cursor on the type of assistance that you're going to get. Um, and adjust to both your preference as well as your seniority. So I think the future of assistance will be able to actually, instead of a, I've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, it will blend different types of techniques to help support uh, the associate, and it will let the associate uh, turn the dials and adjust how this, uh, the uh, those hints, those cues, this assistance is being provided. And, and do you think you know that applies at the consumer end as well as the 
as the agent associate end, as in, you know, me as a consumer choosing what type of experience. We, we used to talk many years ago about personalization and one size does not fit all. It's a bit like the persona type um, personalization, but giving me the consumer the choice how I engage. Yeah, so um, I, I think the topic of personalization is hard to cover across marketing, sales, and service. <laughs> Uh, by definition, marketing is one to many. So personalization is a way to build relevance. When we start in the world of sales and service, it's a one-to-one conversation. In particular, we, and if you look at service, we're supposed to know the customer. <laughs> so personalization is, is something, um, is something really, uh, really different. What, what's happening is, we deploy a gazillion sets of application across uh, uh, across the enterprise, and um, information about customers exists, but it's spread, and it's so fragmented that it's super hard for whoever is interacting with the customer to to to, to get this uh, 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 to get this information, and. Um, I think it's much more at this juncture enterprises to correct <laughs> the the byproduct of having adopted uh, multiple technology, yeah. connecting the dots to make sure that this doesn't come at the expense of the customer experience. Um, the analogy of in the former world of uh, retail commerce. Um, the owner of the business had a book making notes and had a, everything in one book and was able to offer a very, very human and personalized experience. As we deploy this technology, we are actually fragmenting all of this, um, which creates the, a huge problem that needs to be uh, course corrected, definitely. Yeah, and, and as you said, there's a whole range of technologies there as well, which, which we'll not go into from customer platforms to CDPs, I think is one of the terms I see floating around. I mean, there's, yeah. they're all trying to do similar things, I guess, is, is join disparate points together for that customer journey that might last for yeah. minutes or maybe last for months. Yeah. So the, in the context of conversational AI, uh, CDP uh, plays two roles. So, First of all, the CDP is the technology that is able to aggregate information coming from multiple systems. Um, and the, uh, the vision of the CDP is to be able to do it in real time so that you have relevant information. And the CDP places this information and each application, let's face it, comes with its own data model. Um, so in order to blend all of this, uh, you need to create uh, to design your own data model to federate that information. So with this said, in the context of conversational experiences, it plays two major roles. First, it, it's the way to assemble both the customer and the interaction data so that you can build your predictive models. Uh, the AI is fed on data, and if data is fragmented across the board, it's impossible to build your model. So, Job number one, federate the data and be able to apply predictive model. I think where this is the most visible today is the application of conversation intelligence, where 
let's say your B2B business, you're going to record all the discovery calls, all the demos, and you're going to run um, NLP to understand what's going on. And based on that, you can find correlation to figure out what works, what doesn't. You can find uh, signs on a per deal basis that deals well close this quarter or maybe are not mature to close, contrary to what uh, sales is saying in the forecast, you can uncover patterns of professionals and tell them, well, in order to get to the next level, let me give you an advice. So it's more coaching advice. So the way it works is really by sucking all this information, aggregating it with um, maybe emails, um, meeting information from your calendar, other information about all the touches and you're bringing all together. The second uh, role of the CDP ties back to personalization that we've discussed. Um, and when personalization is required or desired, you need to have up to the minute information and you need to have an holistic view. So the CDP comes again at this real-time federation uh, element that can be the feed to provide the context to enable personalization. Um, so it's 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 playing a growing role. Yeah, and and um, we are very good at this in the tech space of using acronyms. So just in case any of our listeners are wondering what CDP is, customer data platform. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, as, as we said, in the conversation AI, there's so many of these technologies that are merging together and maybe they're renaming, you know, a CRM. But, you know, as we know in the conversation in any AI space, data is key. So I guess your, your point here, and it's very well put around those two points of a CDP, you know, are key to the success of any conversational AI or indeed any AI platform where you have customers engaged. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the example I like the most is the one of e-commerce because um, we all can relate as consumer to it. Uh, um, and two, the, the experience is time compressed. So if you think about, you, you go on the website, you find what you want, you may ask for some information, you make a buy, uh, you, you decide to purchase, and maybe you're going to inquire where is your order. Most companies use five, six, sometimes 10 different shippers. The information about where your order is, is in the shipper system. And sometimes they use different index and keys. Now you may want to return. So all those key questions are all coming from different systems. So the view, the historical view that maybe CRM would provide this single, uh, database where you would have all the information about the, the customers uh, uh, has become completely unusual. And if you look, for example, at the sales system, which, which we wanted to discuss, so we had CRM, okay. Then we figured out that uh, it was not ideal to engage customers, we invented marketing automation. Mm -hmm. If you look at what the two system providers, a lot of overlap, did we replace one with the other over time? No. The two on our existing of most customers. 
And then we say we need to take care of customers after the sales. So we invented customer success management. And customer success management, with a lot of overlap, so of course it can synchronize back and forth with uh, with the CRM, but there's some unique data into it. Has been growing and is now a new system of record. And we say, well, we need to better track the experience across all systems. And we invented voice of the customer, customer experience management, there's all kinds of words. So all those systems get on being stacked and they are synchronized between each other, but the synchronization goes so far. And uh, I've, I've seen uh, definitely in the last couple of years, businesses kind of taking a more pragmatic approach and not expecting that the CRM is going like by matching to be the, uh, the consolidator of all the information. It's just one of multiple systems. And we are finding ways to, uh, to bring uh, this information together for specific um, motions. Yeah, and I mean, you do a great job. So any of our listeners, you know, follow Nicholas on LinkedIn because you do uh, consistently, I think maybe every few months you publish your customer interaction management landscape. And it is, yeah. a, bit of, it is a bit of an eye burn, Nicholas, I have to say. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, I, I know, I know. So, uh, in, yeah. But it's it's a brilliant so, summary, definitely is of, of the <laughs> landscape and and the tech. Yeah, yeah, and and the it's interesting to talk two minutes about the history, and there's actually two versions of it, and uh, I'll, I'll talk to the uh, I burner fact of it. So, um, I think it was roughly around 2016, um, and in 2018, some. So, if, if you take a step back, the contact center has been for several decades, a little island sitting at the crossroads of several markets, very complex with to some extent a high barrier of entry, but it came with the fact that it was a bit isolated, limiting its impact. Mm. And uh, in, in, in 16, 18, I, I definitely saw big changes happening. And um, it was, it became very clear to me that the historical, somewhat narrow definition that we have of the call of the contact center was not sustainable to address the CX mandates imperative that many, if not all enterprises or businesses were having. And the second thing I was seeing a lot of innovation coming from adjacency. Let's face it, the contact center is very demanding. The, it's highly measured. There's a lot of operation um, um, constraints being put on practitioners, and sometimes it goes against innovation and trying new things. So the innovation was coming from adjacencies. So I decided to build a market landscape to look at the big picture. And there's two, uh, two products. The, the, the first is what I call the blueprint, mm -hmm. which is yeah. a functional decomposition. And uh, then what I try to do is to map the players because it's a way for me to look at the innovation and uh, trends. Um, and it, it, it leads to this, uh, what I call the logo wall, <laughs> where you see all the players by category. Uh, that you're calling the eye burner. <laughs> the 
the reality is people are very attracted by the uh, the logo wall, the Twitter front jersey. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, but uh, I see personally more value in the blueprint where apparent, and that's how I look at the market. It provides a lens to see how new players are coming and try to break some of the boundaries <laughs> that previously existed, tying the piece together, uh, trying to come with a, a, a new solution to a new problems and all that stuff. So it's really actually the blueprint yeah. that they use as my uh, lenses to look in the market. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm about to release the new version in the coming weeks. Good, good. I'll, I'll certainly be keeping an eye an eye out for it. Um, and I'll not go for the eye burn chart. I'll stick with the blueprint. Um, but no, I, I, I think you're right. It is a minefield. I mean, you know, our space has always been, I guess, but more so recently in the last couple of years with the advances in some of the technology. And as you say, some of it is really innovative new companies doing innovative stuff. Some of it is slightly older companies repositioning themselves to be innovative when maybe it's not quite that innovative. Um, but, but certainly trying to, and, and like, like you, I, I've been in this space for quite a number of years. So sometimes I even find it difficult to understand the lay of the land and navigate around it because it is changing so quickly. So I do think often think how do customers uh, who are looking to procure or implement these solutions, how the hell do you understand even where to start in some of this, you know? Yeah. Um, just oh, definitely. And actually I've done a couple of projects, which I really, uh, are projects that I love with actually enterprises. Yeah. And they bring me to kind of take a step back because usually you look at the future based on what you have deployed. So if you have a call center, you think in terms of replacing one-to-one and and nothing again. I mean, I've been in this industry, uh, there's a lot of great things about, but you can get the same functionality from a digital platform. You can get the company, uh, the the capabilities as best of breed or bundle with UCAS. You can get the, the, the capabilities from a CRM. Yeah. You can get the capabilities from a CPAP platform. <laughs> and um, you can even now get the capability from a conversational one. Yeah. No, I, I <laughs> so think there's multiple ways. And uh, that's, oh, yeah. No, I think it's true. And I think customers are also becoming more, I guess, attuned to it. Because I'm saying, I'm sure you're the same, that, that, you know, a few years ago, it would have been very much buying a platform that's wall to wall that does all of this for you. But customers now seem to be much more engaged in best of breed and joining different platforms together. Obviously, with, you know, SaaS platforms, the availability of APIs, you know, it has become a lot easier to do that in recent years. But you do say certainly customers I'm involved with as well, they're, they are trying to pick best of breed in different aspects and as long as the APIs, the ability to integrate is there, then they will certainly go down that route as opposed to, you know, one one wall-to-wall platform from one single vendor. Yeah. Um, so what I'm seeing is on the low end, um, except if you are a technology company <laughs> with uh, a lot of uh, developers on staff, you will hear on the side of buying bundles. So you will buy UGAS and CGAS together, or, you, or CGAS is part of a, 
a, a digital customer service or as part of a CRM platform. So you will do those kind of aggregation. As you move up market, the complexity, the existing applications exist is such that people end up picking more specific software addressing uh, specific goals and going for, for, for best of breed. Today, because the, the, a lot of those purchase decisions were coupled with the transition to the cloud, and the transition to the cloud started from the low end, we, we kind of thought, okay, that the pattern initially with the cloud adoption, which was bundled, <laughs> would continue. And um, I, I think we're back to uh, the difference in, in purchasing uh, behaviors between large and small companies with best of breed and um, uh, a specific assembly uh, dominating on the high end and more bundle on the low end. That's what I see. Yeah, um, I'm just looking at my clock here. I'm conscious of, of times probably coming up again. So there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on and uh, reading through some of the stuff that's happening more recently with large language models and back to our conversation about last century in the 1990s. It, it sprung to mind as this, and I'm in context here thinking about what's happening between Google and Microsoft on the search side, which leads into the conversational marketing slash sales. How do you find customers? So... I my analogy I've used is this like the browser war. If you remember Netscape v yeah. IE back in I think it was nineteen ninety five. Again, showing a rage here. Our, our, I re, I remind you <laughs> I was not born. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Nicholas. Of course, and um, I'm just wondering. I know obviously Google have dominated the search space, but there's been a lot of talk in in recent weeks about what Microsoft are doing, obviously with OpenAI and ChatGPT and Bing. Yeah. Are we entering that sort of phase with the browser wars again in the search world? Yeah, the way I look at search is really what I call the open search. When you go on Google, uh, on Bing, and you search for yourself, and there is the uh, the business, the on-site search, if you wish, uh, that you can offer uh, to as a brand, letting your customers visit your website, check your help center, and things like that. So. Definitely on the open search. And if you look at search, we are searching for two types of things. We're searching for specific things, and sometimes search is a proxy for asking a question. And most people have done <laughs> tested open AI. The, um, the ability to ask a simple question and to get very uh, relevant answers is pretty mind-blowing. So it's definitely creating in the world dominated by uh, Google, it's creating uh, the opportunity for disruption that all the the hyperscalers, as they are called, are, are jumping into. Yeah. But if you if you look at it, um, Google over the years had started to put some kind of structured results as if what you were doing when doing a search was more asking a question. Now, if you look at it from a brand perspective in a context of a, a of a business. Um, there's two key use cases. And again, we are just at the beginning. Um, first of all, um, I mean, websites have gotten super complicated. And if you go on the help centers, sometimes you ask questions and you have the same syndrome as on open search is you have simply too many results. So people have, I mean, businesses are trying to, to perfect it with semantic search, mm -hmm. with question answering, 
And um, uh, generative AI will definitely provide much better assistance to consumers visiting a website, interacting with a mobile app. Uh, So that's something that is going to basically dust off solutions that were put on the the sites for now. The other thing, which is probably the most exciting for me now in the field of conversational AI, the, uh, someone used the term, sometimes the dirty little secrets of conversational AI, there's a lot of training involved to actually configure, set up the system. And uh, this is taking a lot of cycles. It's sometimes a little bit difficult. So you, you have a topic, you have to tell the machine the multiple ways this question can be asked. And what we find is that generative AI can actually completely transform the way we configure and train conversational AI yeah. applications. And uh, I actually think short term, it is going to be the, the, the biggest disruption in the space. Yeah. Completely transforming how you deploy this, uh, uh, this technology. And if you look at it today, you have three types of solutions. You have what I call toolkit. Typically from the hyperscaler, you have a great technologies, but a lot of building blocks that needs to be assembled together. You have on the other side of the spectrum, you have package applications. So you can have an e-commerce solution that come pre-trained to respond to question, where is my order and uh, how can I return the product? <laughs> Those types of things. In the middle, what we've seen a lot of action is a kind of a, what I call tool set. These are still platform, um, but the tooling environment that comes uh, where the technology is much more advanced. Yeah. And uh, I think this middle category with generative AI is going to be completely changed. And um, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see and in a couple of quarters how things come together. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. I think that, you know, the adoption of that within, as you say, the tooling environment, um, it, it opens up a whole series of other questions that we, we won't have time to go into today, such as AI training, AI inbuilt biases, and what does that mean? Um, but I, I think you're right. That's for, you know, you'll see immediate um, in the next, as you say, a few quarters, uh, advantages being taken of generative AI and some of the large language models that are that are coming to the market. Um, I am conscious we are running up against a lot of time, um, but I, I can't let you go, Nicholas. Um, being French, and I'm Irish, of course, um, and we follow an oval ball. And for our US listeners, that's not the Super Bowl where it was the Kansas City Chiefs won it a couple of weeks back. The, the Rugby World Cup's coming up. So Ireland, I'm delighted to say, are number one seed in France, or number two seed. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Nicholas, but um, what's going to happen? So let me make a prediction because it's all about AI. Um, so uh, for American listeners in uh, in Europe, we have every year a tournament, a rugby tournament called the Six Nation, and um, it's taking place during the the winter. So happening uh, as we speak. Uh, last year, uh, France won it and did the uh, the Grand Slam, and this year. I wish uh, Ireland 
uh, formidable uh, contestant <laughs> to do the same. France has decided to uh, focus on the World Cup <laughs> coming a little later. <laughs> of, co- of course, of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we, we have this uh, a combination of love and rivalry uh, with our <laughs> Irish friends. So we, we give them the opportunity to win the, uh, uh, the Six Nation tournament as we focus that's, on the World Cup uh, coming our, later this year. Our, our Celtic cousins <laughs> are, are very kind to us, Nicholas, and, and we graciously <laughs> accept your kindness. Um, I, I think the World Cup finishes, I think it's the 28th of October or something around that. So I, I will be pinging you a message. Um, I, I think if things go to plan, it's a possibility that France and Ireland would meet at a semi-final stage. So... Um, you will open a beer, no doubt, on the West Coast on that Saturday <laughs> evening, um, or, well, it'll probably be early Saturday morning for you, um, and uh, we, we'll toast each other, be it green or, or uh, Allez Le Bleu, as they say in France. Yeah. Nicholas, it's been, Thank you. it's been great catching up with you. I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been too long. It's been a few years since we last spoke. Um, I certainly will... Um, Perhaps later on this year, maybe around the World Cup time, we will catch up again. We'll maybe do a rerun of this and maybe look at what has changed in, in six months in this whole space. And I'm not talking about rugby, I'm talking about the tech space because I'm sure we will be significantly different or, or moved on from where we are today. So I'll, I'll reach out, no doubt. Yeah, I enjoy very much the, uh, the conversation. Great reconnecting and uh, uh, it was fun. And I really love those discussion because um, yes, I, re- I try to respond to some questions, but actually it makes me think and reflect and look at uh, this fast-changing uh, market differently, so thanks for having me. Nicholas, thank you very much, and we'll see you soon. Take care.